Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Glowworms, and welcome to The Vanity Project with me, Vanity Von Glow. Anyone who knows me knows I love good food, a delicious drink or two, and great company. I suppose I'm not unique in this regard, but life is to be lived and experienced to the max, and that's why I love our guests today. They are experts and influencers in the world of drinks, food, and travel, hosts of the Bring a Bottle podcast. They are the three drinkers made up of A.D. Smith and Helena Nicklin. And who is the third drinker, I hear you ask? Well, in each of their endeavours, they bring along a third drinker from their deliciously diverse revolving roster of guests. I'll be chatting to them in just a minute, but later today uh, in our episode, my drag queen pal Candy Heels is back in town for Queen's Corner. And as always, we would love for you to subscribe and share this podcast if it doesn't violate your principles to do so. We're a young podcast. We're only in our second season and we want to continue growing, so your help being part of that is always appreciated. The Three Drinkers in Ireland is on Amazon Prime here in the UK, and as of very recently, can be viewed in 172 territories in 39 languages. So whether you're in Florence or Newfoundland or further afield, you must check it out. It's a charming little show, the kind of comfort viewing for an evening after a long day at work. And the show also features me as a guest star in one episode where in full drag, I'm taken out to sea on a trawling boat. I'm made to farm mussels. Me and the gang gut and prepare monkfish in a top Galway restaurant. And we visit some of the most beautiful locations in the west of Ireland. One of the things I love about Helena and Aidy is that they are both really up for uh, adventure and for bringing me along. And that was great. And not just me, but my business partner, the mischievous Irish imp, Beth Brickenden, who I host dragon wine shows with here in London. So the three drinkers have been really supportive of us and our dragon wine venture. And we'll talk about that a bit later in the episode. But for now, this is the first time I've seen you both in ages. Aidy and Helena, how are you? Hello. Hello, hello. We're good, so good aren't to we? see you. We've, we're, we're very good. I, ha- I don't think I've seen you since we were filming, actually, Vanity. Do you know that might be true? In which case, it's like seven, eight months ago. It can't no. be. God. Yeah. Oh, my God. I flew you home on a flying sea aeroplane, didn't I? That was <laughs> quite nice. That's true. That's true. From Foynes in the west of Ireland, where they have the museum of, was it naval, the maritime, what is it, flying planes? It's a flying boat museum, yes, and it's the place where they invented Irish coffee. Oh, <laughs> the magic of television. Getting yeah. yeah. Which yeah. you did a blooming good job at, actually, making your first, well, it probably wasn't your first, but you made your Irish coffee cocktails and did a very good job. You got cream all over your face, which we kind of expected. But... Getting cream all over my face is an occupational hazard. It happens whatever <laughs> I do. <laughs> it was so much fun. I just I just love Ireland's reaction to you, basically. It was great. They were very open, though, weren't they? Yeah, they were game, for sure. Yeah, they were, they were not intimidated by drag queen people. I love that. I've been thinking recently about this, this thought that keeps going in my head about doing things with a sense of play, you know, bringing that to your work, bringing that to your relationships, and just not holding things too tightly, but holding them lightly and having fun. And that's what the Irish were like. Mm, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And it's what we try and do with all that, our shows and our podcasts and stuff as well, isn't it? Because yeah. especially with what we do in the world of drink, it can get really up its own bottom. Yeah. We try to, 
we yeah we try to move away from that whole sniffing a glass and oh i'm getting notes of blackberry and blueberries this must be 1942 vintage you know we're the complete <laughs> opposite we help people fall in love with things just through through irreverence really isn't it yeah says the For- guy over the f- furry willy in the background i can see <laughs> on your zoom Yes, the listeners can't see, but um, but Adi's home is festooned with uh, phallic symbolism, and there is in fact a stuffed toy penis in the background of the shot. Can I can I tell you how that came to be? It's, on, it's a little story. So my flatmate, the wonderful Jesse Siasson, I wanted to buy him something funny for Christmas. So I bought him one of these large willy pillows. And I think it was from firebox.com. They have loads of weird stuff. So I got this pillow and it arrives and I was about to wrap it up. And I realized, and I, I literally, I shit you not, there was a large brown stain on the tip of the penis cushion. Ooh. And so I complained. What had happened was the label had gotten wet and rubbed on it. And so there was this brown stain. So I took pictures, sent it off, and they said, oh, we're terribly sorry. We'll send you another one. And I went, well, do you want this one back? And they said, no. So now I have two giant penis pillows sitting in my living room. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I bet they're, they're actually big enough you could hug them at night. Like I often do. It's quite lonely these days. <laughs> <laughs> Lockdown was long. <laughs> so for everyone uh, listening... Um, Helena, you are very much in the wine end of the Three Drinkers projects and your own work, you you write lots of articles about wine, you're an observer of wine trends and Aidy, um, you're more in the cocktails end of things, but both of you had uh, beginnings in the dramatic arts. Could you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> Slightly different beginnings, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I went to drama school officially after studying languages at uni. And so I was sort of trained in the Stanislavski method and vowed one day to bring that to, to drinks, really. Whereas I'm <laughs> living, <laughs> as in living the work. <laughs> Literally living and loving the work, living the dream, drinking it mostly. Yes. <laughs> I, so I got into it from a slightly different angle, didn't I? I? When I was a kid, I went to drama school then and I put myself forward for a couple of TV shows and, and got the part for a, a CITV show back in the day called The Big Bag. And one of my co-stars, he was actually a more junior role, was Matt Lewis, who plays Neville Longbottom in Harry Potter. But, yeah. you know, and, and not to put a down on the situation or anything, but once my tics from my Tourette syndrome started to kind of manifest themselves when I was about seven, at that point in time, I went from this position of getting all the lead roles and getting put forward for all of these TV opportunities to the drama school being so embarrassed by my very existence that they refused to put me forward for anything. And I ended up getting like the worst parts in the plays where I wasn't even on stage because they were embarrassed by my tics. So I went from this, you know, amazing, really out there moment to having absolutely nothing. And it was, you know, connecting with this lovely lady who's, who's, you know, across the screen from me now, where we both, that's her, where we both rekindled our love for it. And, you know, we became unstoppable. Yeah. We both, we both learned just through our various experiences that actually want something, you've kind of got to go out and do it yourself, really, haven't you? Yeah. Spot on. That, that seems to be the case. It's something I'm learning as well myself. I noticed a few years ago when it came to shows that really, if you want to, if you, the only way to increase your take financially as a performer is to produce your own shows and take the ticket sales from them. You can't always be the booked act and get the fee because there's a limit to what, you know, local pubs and local bars are actually going to be able to 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 offer you money wise so you've got to be an entrepreneur and that's what both of you do and you're both influencers um what you just said there made me think helena about that kardashian quote of everyone has the same 24 hours in the day (laughs) but you've kind of got to go and make an opportunity for yourself and that's what you guys have done with the three drinkers and with your uh social media followings how do you cultivate that oh god it's really hard work we don't sleep very much basically (laughs) We, we, we don't. You have to keep up with all the latest trends, don't you? I mean, the big thing right now is reels. And so in order to keep an engaged and active audience, we've got a social media or an Instagram consultant, so to speak, who we work with every month. And she's really helping us to gauge, OK, what different types of social media are there? How can you specifically do reels to capture people's attention? What works best for Helena? What works best for AD? And, you know, we both have like different audiences and different demographics who come to us so we have to really tailor the content to what those people are looking for 
Yeah, I think when you've got so many irons and so many fires, like we have with a TV show, with a podcast, and then trying to run social media at the same time, it really helps to have someone who's, it's, whose job it is to have their ear to the ground with all these new trends and stuff. And basically once a month say, right, you need to create this amount of this, this amount of content, you need to do this, and these are the days I want it, please, and use these sounds for trending, trending reels, blah, 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 et cetera. I mean, it really does help to pay attention to somebody who knows that stuff. <laughs> Yeah. And I think following on from that as well, it's like we have you have to have following on from that as well. You have to have the passion for it. So like don't even get started. Don't even start if you don't have a passion to go on camera and talk to people and sometimes end up looking like a complete fool in public to what everyone else might see. But at the end of the day, you're creating this amazing content that's actually going to have a difference. But if you're embarrassed by that, you don't even start because it's not going to look good. Yeah. And then it's in. And in addition to that, you've got to be prepared to do all your own marketing. And I think so. Don't even bother unless you're going to give that the time of day. Yeah. Oh, and finally, <laughs> be, be, be prepared for stick as well, because especially in the drinks industry, there's some very conservative people out there. And as soon as you start to do something different, they will come at you and they will try and knock you down. And I know that Helen has experienced that in the past. She was one of the first people to ever really engaging, fun and creative video content. I mean, you should tell that story. Well, I mean, back before Twitter was even a thing um, and Instagram didn't exist, I was making videos, dressing up my dog as grape varieties, basically. So I was trying to get across the personalities of grapes. You know, Cabernet is a rugby player. Pinot Noir is more like a ballerina, light-bodied, silky cherry with earth beneath her feet sort of thing. Um, And I didn't have any kind of slurpy wine glasses in there. I literally dressed up in bad, fancy dress and brought my dog in and put him in a t-shirt and I oh my god I got slated so much for years and years and years awful so um, we've learned to grow pretty thick skins really and it still happens and now I'm just trying to remind us when it does that actually the trolling is, is kind of a sign of success it's sad yeah but it is have you had that well being trolled is kind of like it's actually a feature of success it's not a bug you know it's it's actually kind of like part of what happens because at the end of the day human nature hasn't has has, one of the elements of human nature is going to be people who aren't in the arena criticizing the people who are in the arena and you just have to expect that and i 100 get that i am ready today because i'm posting one of the other episodes of the podcast is going up today and i think some people will be annoyed that i'm even having an interview with certain people i'm i've interviewed a labor mp and um and some people will kick off because they don't want you to be interviewing that person. You just like at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to pull your bootstraps up and get on or with it. Mm, it's it's so true, and I think seeing it as a sign of success really does help change the mindset. Yeah, um, it's hard to do. Though. I've seen some of those videos. I think you showed me them of your of your wine, uh, the personalities of the wine, and there's something of the horrible histories to it. You exactly, know, yeah. it's about making stuff accessible because wine and alcohol, there's a lot of heritage in there, and I suppose that's part of that conservative aspect that you're talking about, Ad. Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, it goes back a long, long, long time. But the thing is, you've got to keep up with actually getting and holding people's attention. And what once worked 50 years ago, when only a certain community of people could even buy wine, is completely the opposite now. And what you find now is there's so many different demographics who, one, never had the financial means to be able to, you know, tap into what wine was all about. But two, even if they kind of looked upon wine as an interest, it was, oh gosh, no, no, that's not for people like you. Whereas that has changed dramatically now, dramatically. And we have to be so welcoming and all encompassing to everyone who wants to discover more about what's in their glass. I always think like we're, you know, people are living longer um, than they ever did. You know, people used to die in their 40s and now like we live into our 70s. And a wonderful companion for your life would be an interest in wine or whiskey, something where a glass of wine won't even, you can sit and reflect on it and think about it and engage with it. And it, it's a hobby and an interest and something that you'll develop a knowledge of over time. So I think it's fantastic that people are going to be able to develop that because of the types of work you're doing and the, the more accessible approach of using social media to reach people. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and you're right, because you can never know it all. It's the world of wine and spirits yeah. changes all the time. So even if you've been in the trade your entire life, you'll learn something new every single day. 
yeah and we want to be that bridge in between loving something and not knowing anything about it and those lofty experts decanter magazines and all the really really geeky stuff as well we just want to be that springboard into a little bit more knowledge i think you often judge wine competitions um helena so i'm wondering how would you how do you judge a wine what what are you looking for what do you have to consider it's it's a bit like treating every wine like a detective so generally you know what it's supposed to taste like so it's meant to be like a red roan valley of this sort of age and um, they don't tell you anything else yeah it's all about balance it's all about does it taste like is it, is it a good example of its type is it well made will it keep for a while or is it not meant to you know is it are all the ele elements in balance is it a delicious drink and does it does it go above and beyond what a mm. wine in that bracket is supposed to bring? Those are the medal winners, really. You know, yeah, it's it's very mindful judging wine competitions, I must say. Yeah, because you have to be present. You're actually analysing an experience as it's happening. That is living in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I never really thought of it like that, but it really is a fantastic thing to do. And I think that's why I've missed proper in-person wine tastings, because it's a time where you put down your phone, you use all your senses and you kind of emerge from them, assuming you've spat things out, <laughs> you know, quite kind of relaxed and very, very calm because you've just been concentrating on your senses for about two hours. It's great. Yeah. AD, for you, cocktails, um, I suppose you would use some of the same vocabulary in how what makes a great cocktail, what are you looking for in it? But cocktails, suddenly you're exploding out from just the grape to every possible fruit, every possible liquor. I mean, that's just that's overload there's so much going on in the world of cocktails a lot of it is trial and error and so there'll be times where i'm really excited to put something together and then i taste it and i'm like oh god that's terrible <laughs> and then there'll be other times where i think oh i'm a genius how was i able to come up with this oh god what were the ingredients again but i mean yeah you're right there's thousands and thousands of different spirits out there and i like to look at mixology as art so if you think about it if you've got a blank canvas and on that canvas you use these different tools so you might use a paintbrush or you might use a crayon or you might use chalk and so so that's the equipment and the apparatus that you use. So that could be, you know, the, the foam shake that you've got, or it could be the cocktail shakers. It could be the spoon, it, you know, all the different apparatus. And then you've got the different colors. So whether it's red, blue, pink, green, black, whatever it might be, they're the different spirits that we're going to put in. And so we use all these different tools to craft and create this piece of art. And to some people, everything well to everyone is subjective so so some people they're going to think it's awful and other people are absolutely going to love it that is mixology it is a form of art you're so charming ad because i think if anyone else used the the term that mixology was art my eyes would roll out of my head but you are you are quite right and you know i was at a dinner party at your house where you were throwing together cocktails you know just delicious cocktails everyone got a completely different one as well so like you know you were just mixing up all kinds of things and I wonder how there's all this knowledge but also it seems to me there's a lot of improvisation yeah I think that has to be because it all depends on what you've actually got in your house and you know it, it's like throwing together dishes when you've only got so much food in the fridge you kind of go and you find some eggs and you find mm. a bit of broccoli and you find some ham or whatever it is you've got to work with what you have and yeah there is a lot of thinking on your feet especially when it comes to syrups as well because the syrup is a sweet agent that kind of binds the cocktail together depending on the ingredients that you're using and i always make sure at any one time i've got at least about six or seven different types of syrups at home everything from chocolate and vanilla to strawberry cherry mango apricot because it's that one ingredient that can completely change the drink so if you want to have a different range always have different syrups in stock have you ever made a drink a perfect, delicious, incredible cocktail whilst drunk and then not being able to remember what it was. I'm sure that Helena can probably give a nod to that having happened many times. <laughs> many, many times. Oh, what was it? Uh, I don't know. There, could, there could be a holy grail of a drink out there, right? And, you, and it's escaped us forevermore. Oh, fleeting moments of genius, you know, one-off experiences, lovely. <laughs> I had a delicious wine in Portugal in uh in Lisbon like a couple of years ago 
and it was an orange wine. And I, I wrote it down to remember how good it was. I was like, I need to have this wine in my life. It's the most lovely wine. And for some reason, I can't find where I wrote it down. I, I, did I write it down on paper? Or did I write it on my phone? And now that wine is gone. I will never have that wine again. Yeah, I mean, that's always a problem, isn't it? I'm always putting things in safe places and writing things down and then having no clue when those places are. You do. When it, when it comes on, to wine. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, when it comes to wine, there's a little tool um, that you could use. Yeah, here we go. It's called Vivino. So there's a little tool. It's called Vivino. It's an app. And you take a picture of a bottle of wine and it will just all that information will stay in your phone. So you've got your tasting notes of what you thought about. You've got the picture of the bottle where you can buy it. What, you know, what other people from the wine in the world think of it. So it's like your little pocket wine book. Now, are you affiliate? You are affiliated with Vivino. Yeah, I might be their global brand ambassador. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I, the, the name stuck with me. And now I'm like, wait, no, this sounds like a good thing. So Vivino, I'll be able to take a picture of the wine. And then because I love what I love is if I'm, you know, drinking something and I'm enjoying it. It's like when I watch a movie and I'm enjoying it. I want to read reviews of the movie because I want to hear other people's thoughts about it to introduce new ways of experiencing it. So that sounds like a, a, a handy, handy trick. Yeah, you should definitely use that, actually. I, I always forget to, but it's also, you know, once you log in, it keeps all of those things together as well, mm. so you can refer back. It's great, it's a great little thing. You do quite a bit of writing, Helena, um, and I know you do your talk radio. Every week you'll, you'll go on talk radio and do a, a segment about different alcohols. And I suppose a lot of what, um, there's a lot of discussion about trends like you'll be a person that knows what's going to be popular next year obviously there's a champagne shortage at the moment so people might not be drinking champagne so you maybe have to find right what might people be drinking instead of champagne what's going to be a suitable replacement so like how do you decide what's going to be trending next year or do you decide is it observation and you just tell people what's going to trend <laughs> i google what everyone else is saying no i'm kidding of course um, <laughs> Well, it's just we get sent a lot of stuff. We get lots of press releases. So there, it's really useful just to see what people are pushing. And you can start to see trends that the more samples come in and the more emails you get, basically. And so based on that, then you kind of pay attention to what people are drinking in bars. I've also got like a, a big group of friends who like drinking, as I'm sure we all have. And yeah. they're always very vocal in what they've tried that's new, which wines they're picking off the shelves, you know. So it's, it's, a, it's a really good kind of focus group to have. But yeah, yeah it's, it's basically just keeping your eyes and ears open because as drinks journals, we are flooded with that kind of info. And um, yeah, and you can see these trends popping up. It's funny, there are, I, like even casually, I notice working in bars and clubs, I noticed when suddenly there was a point about 10 years ago where suddenly everyone started drinking gin. And I swear, nobody had drunk gin before. Like, or, you know, you had one friend who was always a gin and tonic, but then suddenly everyone wanted a gin and tonic. And, um, you know, Aperol a few years ago, though I think it's disappeared a bit now. Aperol had a, a Pims had the same thing about maybe, maybe about nine years ago, Pims was all the rage. And it is funny, they just, I guess the drinks brands put a lot of money behind them sometimes and then it becomes the trend for two or three years every time people want an Aperol. It is interesting. It's, it's not just what you like, it's what, what what's going on in the that, culture. That, I mean, that that is it. And I must say, sponsorship does seem to work, especially with these huge events and things like sporting events. It really, there's a reason why those brands go back year after year to sponsor mm. Wimbledon and things like that, because it sticks in people's minds, you know. Yeah, advertising works, people. Sponsor this podcast and ours. <laughs> <laughs> I always think because when you write about, um, you know, if you're writing about trends uh, in alcohol, but obviously, like, you're both writers now, not just experts in your area, but do you feel you could write about anything? Or is it that you would only write about the area of, of booze? I mean, I mean, personally, for me, it would have to be an area that I am comfortable kind of exploring and tasting. So, for example, I don't do an awful lot of beer, for example. I'm much more about wine and spirits, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't dabble into it. I just have to focus a bit more attention into what I'm tasting because it's an area that I'm not as familiar with. And mm. um, same for non-alcoholic stuff, same for things like coffee and tea. So, you know, and even food. I mean, what we do is we use our taste to analyze and so as long as we have our taste and our smell, 
thankfully that's not gone from COVID, thank goodness, then, you know, we, we can kind of look at things from that perspective to explore yeah. them. It's a transferable skill for sure. Um, yeah, no, I'm the same. Wine is my superpower. I do occasionally write about spirits and stuff. But to be honest, I, I would be happiest writing novels. <laughs> I love kind of flouncy literary. Um, yeah, I can't even string a sentence together. But I, you know, I love I love that sort of long form creative writing. I've actually just finished my first novel as well, which hopefully will get published. It's just, I've just got an agent for it. So hooray, oh, we'll that see. Is exciting. Yeah, I mean, it has got wine themes, but it's, yeah, it was a real challenge. It took me 15 years to write it. Because... Is it a novel about a beautiful drag queen who can't say no? <laughs> that's, no, that's number two. That's the sequel. <laughs> that, is, that is the sequel. I'm so, just a girl who can't say no. Do you ever do that one? No. Who sings that? It's from a musical. Um, but There's always songs about sluts in musicals, you know. <laughs> like, there are so many. Like, there's lovely ladies from, from Les Mis, and oh, there's, yeah. uh, oh, there's so many. Tits mm. and asses from another, I can't remember what show that's from, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cabaret's got a couple as well, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, I remember one time I got a digital side eye um, from AD. I think we were, I think we were in Instagram chatting, and it was on the question of whether or not you should have a salted rim on your margarita. <laughs> now I enjoy a margarita because it it hits all the spots for a drink that I like that tart tanginess and 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 all of that. But I understand that it's not really the done thing to actually put salt around the rim of a margarita, is it, AD? So it's become more of a gimmicky thing. And the reason I'm against it is because if you're having a margarita, the ingredients of the cocktail should speak for themselves. So the tequila should be a good enough quality that you drink that drink because you want to taste the tequila as part of it. And if you end up putting a mountain of salt around the rim of the glass, two things are going to happen. One, it's going to distract from the actual taste of the drink itself. Mm -hmm. And two, as you get even halfway through the drink, it just becomes a salty cesspool. And it's basically like drinking, you know, when you gargle on salt because you've got a sore throat, yep. it basically ends up being just like that. And you paid money for that. And now you're not enjoying your drink. So the one thing I would say is I'm not totally anti-salt, but just put it on a specified designated area of the glass mm. and not big chunks of the stuff. Not the whole and thing. Not mm. the whole thing. Good God, no. And, <laughs> and basically try and use a salt like a Chipotle salt or something that has a little bit more kind of flavor explosion to it that's going to work with the drink but never just put salt around the whole of the glass you're just going to ruin the drink so are there other common because i would there, there's sort of misconceptions about alcohol um that are bugbears for you both an example i might think of would be you know is it right or is it wrong to put ice in wine mm, so are, oh, are, are there examples of things like that people do that loads. they really shouldn't <laughs> let's hear them <laughs> Well, obviously, the most important thing is however you like your drink is how you should have it. However, yeah. yes, um, <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of putting ice into wine just because it dilutes it. I mean, if people want to do it, that's absolutely fine. I, I would much rather do something like freeze some grapes and put them in because then they don't melt and dilute the drink, but they keep it nice and cool. So that that's one for me. And also mixing really nice, expensive red wine with lemonade or Coca-Cola. Oh. Um, makes me very sad. Who does that? Who mixes Coca-Cola with wine? Well, I mean, they do it in Spain and they do it a lot in um, out, out in Asia. Um, and it's, it's a cultural thing. Or oh, like a sangria. But it does make me very sad. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in Spain, it is a bit more like a sangria. It's, they call it calimocho. Um, and it's not normally done with super expensive wine. But yeah, it, oh, I, I've seen some incredible rare wines just be topped up with Coke. It's so, it's so sad for me personally. Heartbreaking. Aidy, yeah. what's broken your heart that's similar to that? I mean, other than the salt thing, <laughs> which, which <laughs> breaks my heart on a frequent basis. I think one thing is this misconception. No one really knows how to drink whiskey. Yeah. And there's this whole, oh, no, you can't put ice in it. Or, oh, my gosh, never dilute it with water. But again, as Helena said, like you drink a drink how you want to drink it. Yeah. And all three of those things are acceptable. You can drink whiskey completely neat. Or if it's something that has a lot of strength to it, then it's completely fine to put a little bit of water in it or to put a bit of ice in it. And 
And what you actually notice is whiskey, when you do add a little bit of water to it or ice, it becomes somewhat like a novel. And each chapter has a different taste expression to it. So you start off and you have that sip of it with nothing else in it. So no water, no ice. And you get this big, rounded, punchy flavor mm. coming through. The kind of chocolate and raisins, maybe a bit of apricot or whatnot. And as you add a bit of water to it, what happens is the chemicals start to release themselves a little bit more. So you're getting more of these scents. So then we're getting more kind of tropical notes. So like salted caramel, maybe a bit of pineapple or mango and just over time the whiskey really finds itself so you're going through all these chapters of this novel discovering something new along the journey and okay. there's nothing wrong with that no and it works better for for whiskey yeah it, that doesn't really happen with wine it just dilutes things but with spirits that really can work wonders actually i suppose because the wine is already you know it's 15 well there's like 12 percent abv or whatever whereas your whiskey will be it's a spirit at 48 percent or 42 percent yeah it's something about changing the chemistry with just a dash of water that really does open it up and i've and never i've never put water in my whiskey i've had ice in my whiskey but same, same sort of thing because there is that slight dilution from the yeah and, and eventually a lot of dilution yeah but it, it does the same thing really thinking here's, of um, here's another yeah yeah no let's hear I was another say, i do have one more pet peeve <laughs> 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 you do like so wine in fact, wine. I was going to say, Helena allows me to do something on our Bring a Bottle podcast called Wine and a Wine, where I get 60 seconds to complain about something. So here we go. Uh, yeah. One other thing is people who try to look cool when it comes to a dirty martini and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll have it like really dirty. Mm. Like, no, 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 like really, really dirty. And so when you come AD, over, the, produ the producer of this podcast who is listening right now is such a culprit like he would be happy to have like a gherkin a pickled onion in his in his dirty martini exactly. so he, we, we, we will be having words afterwards nathan what what do you not like about that why, why does it bother you that someone else's martini is so dirty there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
because again it kind of takes away from the flavor of the vodka and yeah. you basically at that point you may as well just be drinking cold olive brine and that should be in the glass rather than whatever this beautifully crafted vodka that has taken someone years to develop the recipe for and perfect is in there it just seems like a bit of a waste you know have a little bit by all means but i, you know. I like i like a, i like a dirty martini but i i don't ask for it to be mad dirty i like i like a good quality olive in there I will, I, that is important, but yeah, I like, I like that, that brings that sort of brininess into it, but mm. I could just drink yeah. a, pickle, a jar of pickles if I wanted that, couldn't I? Exactly. And I don't get me wrong, love dirty martinis, one of my favorite drinks to have. I think that people can just go a bit overboard sometimes because it's like really cool to say, oh, I'll have it really, really dirty, but no, yeah. no, let's not do that. I used to order those without even knowing what they were, but just because they sounded good. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Um, Helena, I was seeing that uh, recently you had a complaint for the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Um, so your wine and your wine uh, <laughs> is about the, cha- was it the change of tax? Duty. On- There's so much duty on, on alcohol as it is, but just wine has an unfair amount. And yeah. um, yes, and, and what we've kind of realised is that actually most, it's mostly women at the, at, sorry, if we're thinking about buying wine in supermarkets, I'm afraid it still is mostly women who buy buy the wine, sort of do, do the weekly shop and stuff. And so it feels like they are getting targeted unfairly by this tax rise, whereas beer and other more manly drinks and whiskey have, has a less duty. That's yeah, what that was all about. Yeah, because they're lower. So like a beer would be 5% alcohol so they're not seeing an increase to the duty on the beer meanwhile if you want to have a nice 15 pound bottle of chablis it's now going to be 17 pounds or whatever yeah exactly it's like wine drinkers get hit harder the poor wine drinkers i know the poor wine drinkers will somebody please think of the wine drinkers (laughs) so um dragon wine is a project that i have with beth brickenden um listeners have not met beth yet but she will be on a future episode here at the vanity project and uh, Beth is a sommelier, so, um, you know, like yourselves, she loves and knows a great deal about wine and hospitality industry here in London. So she wanted to disrupt the wine tasting industry by kicking off Dragon Wine. And we kind of want to do for wine tastings what happened for Drag Brunch. <laughs> People didn't go to brunch as much five years ago, but now Drag Brunch is sell- sells out in 20 venues in London. My brunch sells out all the time and it's fab and we love it and so the idea is that Beth hosts a wine tasting and I stand next to her uh, making fun of her and the wine and singing some songs and um so we're trying to get that off the ground you guys have been so supportive and having us on your show uh and everything but it makes me think like we're trying to find an audience for that and I wonder like drag brunch the audience is 95 percent female yeah. Are your audiences, is there a gender split there? Is there a demographic that's specific that I would have not thought it's about? Really that you guys have? interesting because we've got three different audiences. AD has one, I have one on our personal channels, and then the Three Drinkers has one. And yeah. that is changing over time as we kind of expand out of just being whiskey. You know, our first show was all about whiskey, so we had a very male heavy audience. No, but I have a lot of women following me, a lot of sort of female entrepreneurs, a lot of women of sort of in, in their late 30s and early 40s, they are the kind of people who would love drag brunch. In fact, I was talking about my kind of group of women and mum friends from school at the moment. Their latest thing is drag bingo and they love yeah. it. They can't get enough of it. And I think, yeah, tapping into those school mum type audiences as well. It's quite, <laughs> this is probably a good way to go. I can help with this. Yes. <laughs> well, do you know, I, there used to be this, this, uh, woman who used to come to a lot of my shows Taryn who was fab she moved to Australia but she was like a kind of North London mum and she was always saying she was like you know I think there's things that you could be doing and she was saying you know you could do shows for mums while they bring their kids so then the kids get a bit of a show but the mums get a show and all this stuff and I think there is (laughs) we're living in a cultural moment where if you stick drag at the start of anything you could do drag wall climbing drag horse riding (laughs) Like watching a drag queen make a fool of themselves is universally appealing, but particularly women. What about your audience, Aidy? 
So I kind of have three three demographics, so to speak, for my own personal channels. And that would be obviously our incredible LGBTQIA plus audience who are there in their wonderful, wonderful way and very supportive, I have to say. And then I also seem to have kind of a lot of 50-ish year old moms who are following <laughs> me as well. And they're very much into two things, either wine or gin. So there's a lot of questions there. And then my third audience is very much around the neurodiversity world. So I do a lot of advocation work for Tourette's syndrome. And I find that a lot of people follow me to kind of just see that, you know, I have Tourette's and I can have a successful career. And that's exactly what they can do too. So whether it be the parents of kids who have Tourette's or whether it be, you know, the kind of late teenagers into early adulthood folks who have Tourette's as well. That seems to be the, the three audience split that I have. And it's fascinating to watch them cross over into each of those different realms. Because when I post about the Tourette syndrome stuff, I have the mums and I have the LGBTQIA plus world being like, oh my gosh, I never knew about this. Thank you so much. And equally so with the drinks, <laughs> the opposite happens as well. But it's oh. fascinating. That's lovely crossover. I've just got to say at this point that when, when I came to see your dragon wine tasting with Beth uh, when we did that last summer I told my daughter that that's what I was going to do and she was like oh my god she couldn't believe it she said are there going to be real dragons there <laughs> <laughs> dragon well, wine dragon in wine. a way dragon in a way <laughs> well yes I, I think the answer was definitely yes there I would like to... to hear you sing puff the magic dragon at some point <laughs> Do you know there was a man in West London I used to play piano in a bar called West Five in Ealing and I would have to play for like four hours um, on a Friday night. And this one man used to always request Puff the Magic Dragon, which for some reason that song is like, actually makes me cry. It's so haunting the melody, but also it's really a strange song to be singing on a Friday night when people are getting the party lit. And here I am singing Puff the Magic Dragon. But you yeah. Know, it's also a football song. Did you Is know it? that? Yeah. No. Yeah, Did it's you know associated that? with a football team. I'm just going to Google it. See, the problem with football is that whenever football's mentioned, my brain just starts playing reruns of footballers' wives in my head. Oh, my God, yes. It's, it's like I block out football and I only think of Tanya Turner sucking on a cigarette and plotting everyone's overthrowal. <laughs> Good old Tanya Turner. Oh, my yeah. gosh, I miss those days of my That and Desperate Housewives. That was yes. the other iconic, iconic series. Very camp, very... I'd be like breathe under camp, wouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Eighty. While while Helena tries to find which football team it is that sings past Magic Dragon, um, I wanted to follow up a bit about your Tourette's because I sort of accidentally spring hopped over it right at the start when you were talking about drama school, and it's. It, I feel like nowadays there have been enough documentaries that people have quite a strong effect. Well, you might think differently so tell me if I'm wrong I think people have quite a a healthy curiosity for Tourette's and feel quite affectionately towards someone who has Tourette's but it can't have always been like that people didn't know or understand neurodiversity 20 years ago or you know when you were at drama school they weren't necessarily able to support you continuing your career as an actor so I mean I would say that people are aware that something exists called Tourette syndrome but still it's not what it actually is and right. the amount of people who when I say oh yeah I've got something called Tourette syndrome the first thing they always say is but you don't swear and I'm like well first of all yes I absolutely do because I have a foul mouth I grew up in Yorkshire <laughs> <laughs> but the swearing is nothing to do with my Tourette's and only 10% of people with Tourette's syndrome have something called coprolalia which is yeah. the element of inappropriate gestures or, or swearing and there's this huge misrepresentation out there because every single time you see Tourette's portrayed in the media or in public somehow it will either be focusing in a documentary on people who have the worst possible symptoms or in TV and movie They'll be taking people who say the most outrageous things for comical effect. And in addition to that, if we really think about it, Tourette's syndrome is the only disability that is given a green card for people to mock. And so Tourette's syndrome is literally, it is the pun of many jokes. It's many jokes. And even to the point where you could go on Amazon and buy a mug that says, what do we want? A cure for Tourette's. When do we want it? Bleep you know, very rude swear word. And the thing is, it's actually really not funny because there's a lot of kids out there who are actually self-harming and in some cases killing themselves 
because of all the bullying that they're getting from school, because of what people deem this to be. And so I've been on this mission to debunk the stigmas and help people realize what it is, but more importantly, what it isn't and how we can generally just raise awareness across the board to help the children who are in schools to normalize it. Much like in many schools now, whether you are, you know, gay, bisexual, straight, transgender, it's becoming increasingly better for people when they're kids because of normalization. We still have a long way to go, but I want Tourette's to get to a point where someone goes into school and ticks and it's just a case of, they're just a person like everyone else. Mm. We don't need to put a label on that. They are just them. Um, it must be so a yeah. tricky thing that that because uh, the number of people with Tourette's, there's unlikely to be huge numbers, i.e. not every class is going to have a kid with Tourette's in it. So that means that when kids do meet a kid with Tourette's, it's, it's a novelty. They don't know what's going on. Well, you say that, but 1% of the entire population of the world, 1% has Tourette's syndrome or a tick-related disorder. So ah, one out of every 100 people in the world has it. And it can kind of, you know, it can channel down over time as one gets older into their teen years. It's 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 worst when you're going through puberty and your hormones mm. are kind of kicking around your body. And when you get to your early adulthood, sometimes it can phase out. But there's literally 50% of people who have Tourette's syndrome aren't even diagnosed because mm. the, the healthcare support is just awful. And if you think about how, so there's a 1% prevalence rate of Tourette's syndrome and a 1.7% prevalence rate of autism. With, with autism, the government is putting a lot of funding into funding spend into specialist centers. And there are hundreds of specialists for autism all around the country. For Tourette's syndrome, despite there being just a 0.7% difference, we have three specialist centers for kids in the UK. And it's just not enough. Sounds like you need a PR campaign, AD. <laughs> You're going to have yeah. to get some flyers made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, I think, it, you know, you must be one of the only TV presenters in the world actually uh, working who has Tourette's. So you're in a prime position to to sort of be some of the ambassador for how it's possible to, as you say, be successful as a communicator. And you're a great communicator. A prime position is definitely the operative word. Right yes, indeed. <laughs> so the three drinkers in Ireland, your show is, <laughs> is on Amazon. See, there we go. Is, <laughs> is on Amazon Prime. People can watch it right now. Um, I really, I, we filmed this in September last year and we've just been going through like a year and a half of lockdowns. So to get to come on a working trip to go and taste delicious food, spend time with you guys and have a laugh, um it was like just wonderful the west of ireland is amazing so tell uh tell the listeners how the show came together and tell them a bit about what it is shall i shall i go well, yeah we... i just spoke for ages so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. uh, well we we made a show called the three drinkers do scotch whiskey because as we were alluding to earlier we wanted to make drinks TV. And the only way that we were finding that we could do that is to do it ourselves. So we started with Scotch whiskey because it's all branded content and there's a lot more money in Scotch. Mm. And so we chose Ireland next because it seemed to be like the most logical step, it wasn't too far away, um, but it seemed to be the most logical place to go to after Scotland really. And we wanted this time to open it up to a wider audience which is why it's not called the three drinkers do irish whiskey it's called the three drinkers in ireland so we that gave us a license to look at all the booze we could possibly find from muff liquor to whiskey to irish cream to cider to guinness and stuff as, as you know and so and what was that there was this strange like home brew that they have is it poutine is poutine, poutine yes that's right the stuff that beth used to drink when she was a teenager <laughs> she, still, she probably still drinks it now <laughs> she probably does she probably makes it yes yeah we told the story of uh, of, of ireland's illicit spirit is basically their moonshine which is now being regularized um regular which has now been regulated. That's work. <laughs> I'm a writer, don't you know? Um, yeah, and just we, we realised that we wanted to continue making telly. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to do that. We were due to shoot in March 2020. And that didn't happen. And we put it off six times because we didn't know how long a pandemic was going to be. And that was really fun. And now we've finished it and we're really glad. 
<laughs> but it's out and it's doing really well. And yeah, we're very happy that we did basically. It's I'm been sure it's been compared to like sort of uh, food and beverage top gear, you know, traveling. I mean, and also because the episodes are 30 minutes um, and it's quite packed in. There's a lot and there's a lot of humor in it um like i i i really enjoyed watching the episodes i wasn't in and i'm not the kind of person that enjoys watching things i'm not in so <laughs> <laughs> well that is exactly the idea you talked about the light touch before and we did mention it's what we, it is what we try to do because we do cover you know we covered the the history of irish whiskey and how it nearly fell out of existence a few years ago but you know it, it's important to balance all the geeky facts with sort of lighter moments as well hence having you arrived too mm. <laughs> Which i think it's fun. it's important for us to build that chemistry with our audience because at the end of the day it's the audience who are the whole reason why this is possible for us and so it's like we want to get to know them through the screen just by being ourselves and having a laugh with one another and the kinds of like jokes that we make and a lot of them were probably cut because mm -hmm. some of them are probably a bit too rude to make in but all the jokes we make with one another that's exactly what we're like in real life too i think that's the difference like this tv show is literally being able to hang out with your mates and do your job Whereas, you know, many other things which are more factually driven, you're not, you're putting on a bit of an act. And that's, that's the beauty. You get to go away with your mates and make a cracking project and help people at home have a bit of a laugh and learn something new along the way. Yes, I, I definitely felt there were moments where, you know, I, I, what, the types of jokes that I make, and you, you two have a, a dirty sense of humour as well. Um, but there were definitely things I would say, and then I, I could see your producer clutch, clutch the pearls and say, oh, well, that's not going in. <laughs> um, <laughs> because at the same time, you know, it has to be acceptable. We need to have like a, 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 a an uncut version. <laughs> oh, I know. Honestly, we had so much to and fro with your scene as well, because we're like, oh, come on. It's great. And it's like, oh. Yeah, do you remember those of two of do you remember so, those all, yeah, i mean the outtakes the Sorry. shows in the 90s like euro trash i mean really that's what i belong on <laughs> so, <laughs> like just looking at the lowest end of culture but it was so great because when when you're i mean galway is a beautiful city but we, we went everywhere we were in 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 westport and um and actually like quite beautiful places people are going to want to go to once they've seen mm. these great aerial shots and these these uh, friendly Irish people. It was quite a good advertisement for Ireland as well as for the three drinkers. Yes, well, I'm very happy to hear you say that as we did work with Tourism Ireland on this. But that, that's the other thing. It's not just inspiring people to pick up a bottle of something that they've seen on the show. We want people to go there and experience it themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, the you... food is incredible too. A lot of people, much like in England, they think that there's not much personality to the food. That is so incorrect. If you look at the things like the dairy market or the beef or the vegetables and even the innovation with different local spices that they have and herbs it's incredible to see what foods they're putting together so i would say that for anyone who is a big foodie do not discount ireland because as we proved in the show there are so many things you can do and explore yeah and if you're a fishy person or a seafood person obviously episode two with vanity is an yeah. absolute must <laughs> yes indeed um you both must get a lot of free alcohol in your line of work and this happens to me too. Drag queens are never short of a drink if they want one. Um, but you might remember when we were in Ireland, I was actually taking a break from drinking. Um, and, you know, for several months, I didn't drink at all. And then for a few months, I only, I, I limited my drinking to like twice a month. And I've sort of relaxed that now. And it took took a break to redefine my relationship with booze. That's important for me because I'm trying to reevaluate my productivity. I wouldn't have this podcast without that break. And I wouldn't be working on the, the original music that I'm working on if it wasn't for that break. So it was really important for me. Um, how do you two, or maybe it's not an issue for you two, but do you ever have to think of safeguards to stop yourselves falling off the edge and just being drunk all the time? That is such an interesting question. Um, I absolutely hear you and I haven't been able to take that break. I really, really feel I should. I mean, I've, I, I go through periods of cutting down quite a lot. Mm. So I, I might just, I have like two or three nights a week and then I don't go crazy. And yeah, the productivity is off the scale when that happens. But I must, I'm re I've got such a rubber arm and I live with someone who's got a rubber arm. And then, <laughs> rubber know, arm. Yeah. <laughs> I've never <laughs> heard that. 
<laughs> no, I know it sounds very exciting. That you know, if someone's like, "Oh, shall we?" Or it's you don't even have to wait yeah. for a reply. The other person's already gone crack. Yeah, it's open. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky one. I mean, we get sent lots of booze. Ironically, we don't drink that much when we're at work. It's just yeah. at home afterwards that it becomes a problem. I mean, I I typically only drink usually on Fridays and Saturdays. I try throughout the week not to, mm. but. As more and more events are happening, it's really difficult to go to an event where a winery is so excited to show you six of their wines with dinner. And so what you end up doing is you kind of learn to be a bit of an illusionist in a way, in that you have a glass then. You you take a tiny sip of each to appreciate what's going on, but then you hold one glass in your hand the whole evening. And at some events, I even like, oh, I'm just going to nip to the loo. And then I'll kind of like pour a bit down the sink or whatever, just because I don't want to drink. But there's this, you don't want to offend anyone by not wanting to drink it either. Mm -hmm. We all have to look after our mental health. And I think there are times in our life where we need less alcohol, as the period that you went through yourself. And I think that there's times when people can, you know, switch to some of the amazing non-alcoholic options that we have as well. I mean, that market is absolutely booming. But the one thing I would say is, you know, if anyone is coming to a point where they feel that they're dependent on drinking alcohol to get through the day, then it's time to really reevaluate things and have a hard look because alcoholism is not a good thing. And, you know, Helena and I are very lucky that it doesn't get to that point. This is our profession. And we, as I said earlier, we analyze alcohol, but we know how to enjoy it in moderation. Um, but the when, worst, when a problem rises. The worst thing for me was when I wasn't drinking, I still was working in clubs and I would be, I would be a bombshell where uh, on a Wednesday night, I'd always have a great time there. Um, or I would, you know, I would go the pop in after my show to see my friends who are the DJ and all that stuff. But people get really like, they really notice if you're not drinking. They're like, oh, you're not drinking. You don't have a drink in your hand. Suddenly everyone wants to put one in your hand. Um, but yeah, for me, do you know, it was a re- it was a really great thing. But I also, um, I, I I enjoy, like I say, the the hobby and the interest of wine and whiskey and cocktails. And, and it's actually really been good for me to now be back um, where the whole balance of my life is different. And it's been fantastic. Um, so my final question for you, um, the three drinkers season three, where will you be setting off to? And can I come? <gasps> oh, well, we know, I mean, but we here. can't you say, can't I, say. Sure? I mean, we haven't officially announced it, but oh. I don't think we're allowed to yet. <laughs> oh, I've told so many people. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You'll have to tell me Sorry. when the recording stops. But for the time being, I'm so, so grateful to have uh, been taken to Ireland by you uh, for the three drinkers in Ireland. And I'm so glad you've come on the podcast here. That You had me on your podcast last year. And I think it might have been part of what got my wheels turning and thinking, no, I'd love to have some conversations with the types of people I've had on. So thanks so much for doing today. And uh, best of luck with the rest of the show. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Please do come back on Bring a Bottle. I'll pop yes. back yeah. time too. We'll be doing many more, many more things with Vanity Bonglow. That was the fabulous Helena Nicklin and A.D. Smith of the Three Drinkers, uh, pals of mine and fellow lushes. Um, although I am drinking less, I must say that as a disclaimer for my mother who does listen to this podcast. <laughs> No, I actually do drink less candy. Stop laughing. Um, Stop with the lies. So here is Candy Heels for Queen's Corner. This is the segment of our show where I chat to one of my nightlife pals, uh, often a drag queen. Um, And Candy, you're not a big drinker either. I am not. No, I I had my, you know, my time when I was I was I was drinking heavily. It wasn't a long time, but but it was. And I remember that I got absolutely shit faced. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I have very vivid memories I would not like to repeat in my life. <laughs> For us working in clubs, it's like... It is difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult. Well, sometimes the only way to be around drunk people, it's like if you can't beat them, join them. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, I don't drink when I'm doing shows anymore and um, not because I was exhibiting bad behaviour at shows. It's just... I just don't, why? It just used to be so automatic for me to have a drink while I'm performing. But now I'm like, look, I love performing. I'd rather not be hung over just because I had a gig the night before. Like, you know, and then if you I'm have gonna... to work the next day. 
Exactly. And then you have to drink to get over the hangover. And it's like, nah, I, I, what I like is on a Thursday night, if I've not got a show on, I'll sit down and I'll watch a movie with my housemate and, oh yes, we'll have a nice glass of red. And, and like, that's the capacity. Or if I'm having an actual night out, that's really for me, it's not a, a working one, it's a night out, then I'll have, have drinks. Um, I think, what- I think you use, you use alcohol differently than you used it before. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah because w- when you're at home watching a movie you, you you're not gonna get you know very drunk you just want to be in the mood of like you know like hello there's a movie i'm gonna watch and you know like just chilled and relaxed and, yeah yeah nice and what do you do to unwind when you're alone and looking for a movie candy am i looking for a movie or am i looking for a man <laughs> <laughs> or i salute you vanity <laughs> Yes, indeed. So what would you drink, though? Because you, you'll sometimes have a drink. What's your go-to? Yeah, well, if, if I... Sometimes I work almost every day a week, so I don't really want to be, you know, want to drink alcohol or want to get drunk every day because then in the end, you just become an alcoholic. And mm. um, uh, sometimes I drink, sometimes I don't. I, I like a gin and tonic just for the same reason, just to put me in a mood. I used to when I was starting out uh, performing and singing and all that, I, I needed like shots, shots, shots to like give me the courage to go out there and, and, uh, and perform. But then A, I don't need it anymore. And I also realized that if, if you get drunk, then you, know, you don't perform well either. So I don't want to be a mess on stage. Wow, I like somebody- some quality. Somebody write that down. Candy Heels does not want to be a mess. <laughs> well, I had my fair share of being a mess. So Absolutely. It's just being an adult, I think. Helena was just saying there um, that she loves the idea of drag brunch. So you do drag brunch with me, the drag yes. brunchette at Zabrano every Saturday in Soho. And it always starts very civilised. Um, but by once the show's been going for like two hours at the end at four four three o'clock four o'clock in the afternoon all these girls are up on their feet dancing like it's three in the morning it's so much fun isn't it it is it is and it does feel like like it's a club and it's three three a.m in the morning it really does i think it's uh it it mainly us like we bring bring the mood before it starts when when we start you you sing a couple of songs it's more like it's more like a concert mm-hmm. and then uh, then it becomes very dancey because they're they're you know we're, we're singing all the all the camp songs and they're dancing along with us and it's also more alcohol being served so they they yeah they they're having the time of their lives and that's how it should be sometimes when we finish up like so our performances finish at four o'clock at brunch and before I have, I have a show at six o'clock. So I've got two hours to go and grab some food. So we'll go out. And when you step out into the daylight, it's so shocking to me. I'm it's like, cause we've just- It's shocking because it's like <laughs> nightclub, isn't it? I feel like it should be pitch black. And then we come out and it's not only is it bright sunshine, but there's a queue outside Mary Poppins for all the people going to the theater. And there's people running around, you know, on their shift to work and have grabbing their lunch and having a drink. And it's like, whoa, it's thriving daytime atmosphere in Soho and they're asking you a photo and you just say no I know <laughs> I know and I, I know that that <laughs> some people think that that is like why would you stop for a photo and I'm like because this is my lunch break <laughs> and also this is daylight and a daylight is not really a pretty look on drag and isn't it amazing how every single person in the world every there's 60 million people in the UK and every single one of them has a camera phone Yes. But only about five of them actually know how to use the camera because the number of people who ask to get... They don't know flash. They want to get a picture with the drag, but they don't know how to take the picture. (laughs) Let's take a moment of silence. (laughs) (laughs) To think of the people on their phones. Uh, Well, Candy, thanks so much for joining us for Queen's Corner today. My pleasure. Um, It's lovely to have you on The Vanity Project. Uh, This is our second season. How do you think it's going? Well, it's going really well. Lots of lots of listeners. This yeah, we're growing an audience of concerned individuals who want to know what's happening in the world. And I'm here to tell them. Very well, very well.
Well, I'm sure we'll have you on again. I'm sure I'm going to see you on Saturday at brunch. Mm. Thank you so much to Candy Heels and to uh, Helena Nicklin and Eddie Smith from The Three Drinkers. Now, you can follow all three guests on social media at Helena Sips, at Sipped, spelled S-Y-P-P-E-D for Eddie's social media, and at Candy Heels. Is that right, Candy? It is. It is. It, That's Candy Heels. You don't use your full title, The Boobalicious Candy Heels. The boobalicious candy hills. Well, the boobs are in the drawer, so it's only appropriate if they're out. Quite right. Well, everyone, uh, make sure that you, if you haven't already, subscribe to The Vanity Project or share this episode with your friends so that we can help grow the audience and have more people joining us on this exciting journey through podcasting. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. See you. Bye-bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.